Welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Craigbaum. And before we get started, I just wanted to make a note that we will usually be posting on Friday mornings, but this week we had the opportunity to get a interview, I think the first podcast interview with Fenty Skin's new global ambassador, Sean Garrett, um, but he could only speak to us on Friday. So we are posting this one a little bit late, but we promise not to do it again unless we have a good reason. Right, Annie? It's our podcast. Right. So you know what? I'm acting like we need permission, but we don't need permission. Mm-mm. You know but what? I, I don't even think anybody noticed. Probably no one noticed. Um, how are you, Annie? Are you back in, in the, the New York state of mind? Am I back in the New York state of mind? I think I have and always will be in a New York state of mind. Don't you agree? I would say that you have a New York state of mind with like a dash of Southern relaxed, like front porch vibes. <laughs> front porch vibes. No, you know, like sipping on like a like mint julep on the front what? porch. Where? Just like it's a little, it's a little like slower pace, like <laughs> let's all relax and like talk about whatever we want to talk about. I'm like, go, 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 go. You're like neurotic. Yeah. Yeah. I see that you're wearing continue, a Continue, sh- continue. <laughs> I see that you're wearing a shirt with mushrooms on it. Um, I am. I actually, maybe I did it unconsciously because I, after doing our interview with Dr. Meisner from uh, Harvard McLean Hospital on ketamine therapy. I was also researching other alternative depression therapies. And one one that's getting a lot of attention right now is psilocybin, which is the magic mushroom active ingredient, I guess, or like the thing that makes magic mushrooms magic. And uh, I read this article that talked about stacking psilocybin with niacin and some other mushroom that I bought, which is legal and is not psychoactive and that it can help with your memory. It can help with anxiety. So I'm right now looking for a purveyor of illegal mushrooms so that I can try to, you know, recover some of my early childhood memories for no particular reason, other than I just hate that I have a terrible memory. This reminds me of a earlier memory that we share. Remember when we went and got mushrooms from the mushroom man at the Brentwood Farmer's Market? Yes. And made dinner for everyone? <laughs> was it was it delicious or no? It was incredible. We made, um, I laugh out loud when I think about it sometimes, we spent all day on a Sunday getting procuring ingredients and supplies to make dinner. People were coming over. We bought very expensive groceries from the Farmer's Market in Brentwood, um, which is like, how would you describe it, Nick? It's like Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth girl. Paltrow. I think the chicken alone cost like $80. It was insane. And then we went home and cooked it. <laughs> Casey, Nick's husband was there. And in all the hustle and bustle of getting dinner ready, um, and Nick had made these little beds with these like chicken bone in chicken breasts with like little slits for butter and rosemary. And they were all perfectly on this sheet in case he tried to help you put them in the oven and they fell. <laughs> you know that here is the perfect example of why I need psilocybin. Psilocybin, whatever it's called, is that it's literally like you could be telling me a story of something that happened to someone else. I have no recollection of this. I mean, I vaguely, now that you mentioned like the 
you know, climax in which like Casey knocked the pan onto the ground. I remember it vaguely, but otherwise like it could have happened to someone else. (laughs) Then we just didn't tell anyone. And we just ate the chicken. Did we like the chicken? We didn't just eat it. We served it to people too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the, the oven, you know, cooks off anything bad. Absolutely. We would never do anything like harmful. Never. Never. In, in the spirit of serving, you know, kitchen floor chicken. Should we get into the week's top stories? Let's do it. So it was kind of funny trying to find news stories this week. It seems that a lot of beauty brands knew that this was Fenty Skin Week and decided to take themselves out of the equation because there's no competing with the media coverage and chatter about the launch of Fenty Skin We've talked about it twice so far on the podcast. <laughs> breathless. <laughs> our breathless chronicling of like the launch of Fenty Skin. And so they had is, this is like, quite something. They had this digital house party, which I thought was really innovative. And I mean, I didn't go to it, <laughs> but that I don't go to any parties so that nobody be offended by that. But you went, right? Was it like a nice user experience? I popped in. It was it's cool. I mean, it was like, a, you know, a fancy looking Zoom party. Um, which I've had about enough of at this point. But it was exciting to see this esthetician that I've known for a few years now uh, named Sean Garrett became the new global ambassador of Fenty Skin. He's a New York-based esthetician. He has incredible, he calls it, I think, like doll skin. And Rihanna picked him to be her number one ambassador for the brand. And so he was a big part of the launch event and he's been sort of giving advice and reviews, as have a bunch of other estheticians. I mean, kind of part of the genius of the rollout was not only did they precede to a lot of influencers, but specifically they targeted a lot of estheticians who and were allowed to really give their honest reviews. So LA Beautyologist, aka Nye Robert Smith, who we had on the podcast right when we launched, she gave her review, which was you know, if you're okay with fragrance and you're okay with witch hazel, which is included in the fat water serum toner, then you might like this brand. If you're sensitive to fragrance, which a lot of people are, or if you feel like witch hazel is drying, you know, in parentheses, which it is, then you might not love all these products. But I thought she gave a very balanced review, but the skin, but skincare Twitter was up in arms about the inclusion of fragrance, synthetic fragrance, I should say. Everybody loves to pick on fragrance. I mean, it's just not, if you're like a skincare purist or a skincare junkie, like, you know, that fragrance has no benefit. Like there's no, it's not doing anything good. It's literally, you know. You say that, but then, okay. So, you know, the bulk is what they call the cream or the substance that is the goo inside the actual skincare product itself. A lot of times without any added fragrance, it smells like garbage. And so people don't realize that when they complain about, well, why would a brand add a fragrance? It's so unnecessary. It's just for marketing. It's like, actually, you'd probably also be complaining sometimes if it didn't have any fragrance in it. Well, actually, that's interesting. It makes me think of the fact that unscented doesn't mean fragrance-free. Unscented is a scent. It's just like the scent of of nothing. So you have to, if you really are sensitive to synthetic fragrance, you have to look for things that explicitly say fragrance-free because unscented can mean that they add something to just like neutralize the scent because sometimes the ingredients can smell like plasticky or like sulfury or whatever. Or like, like feet. You know, 
Yeah. So, I mean, like Biologique, which does not have fragrance, I don't believe in any of their products. Like, uh, I had a friend who used to say they smelled like hot dogs. Biologique to me smells very yeasty. Yeah. Like beer or bread. I always associate those smells with efficacy. So, like, I've never been, I've never had an issue with that. But my friend who likened them to hot dogs, would often say that her boyfriend would refer to her as garbage face at night when they were like going to bed because like her face smelled a little bit garbagey from the from the biologique. Well, speaking of garbage and skincare, something else about Fenty Beauty that I have mixed feelings about, but overall I'm glad that they are basically like the first huge, 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 huge brand with a huge face and creator in Rihanna, our friend, to talk a lot about being like environmentally friendly with their packaging. I don't think the packaging itself is doing anything super innovative. And I mean, they're using like post-consumer plastics, which is just plastics that had a life before that have been recycled and now are going into this product. A lot of brands should be doing that. That should just be best practices. They have one product, the sunscreen that has like a refillable component, but it looks like there's still materials that you won't be able to recycle from that. What else? It's a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction. I just, I want to say you can't call yourself an environmentally friendly brand if you are also sending out hundreds, if not thousands of influencer gifts and like beauty people call them like pr packages it's like those huge like unboxing things that the influencers yeah just do, like just to get like a cl- like a clout i'm not using this word right it's not in a no but like cloudy you sound like one of the cool kids yeah well i because we just interviewed a guy that uses that word in a way that i can't replicate but yeah it's so much waste i hate it um i used to get them as editors they serve zero purpose and okay but just to stop you to be clear rihanna is a friend of the pod and will continue to be a friend of the pod and i'm always and... honest i'm always i never say anything behind my friend's back i say it to their face true true which so i think a podcast that... counts as to rihanna i agree <laughs> The other interesting news that came out this week was a study in the journal Scientific Reports, which found that depression was reported to be 40 to 88% less severe by patients who were treated with Botox than those who were not treated with Botox. And that Botox could be in their face. It could be like under their arms to stop from sweating. Like it was any, any treatment area of Botox. And so what researchers and, you know, scientists are looking at is whether Botox can actually, you know, be used as a form of, of an antidepressant. And the idea I think that most of the scientists have agreed on, which is of the mechanism why it works is because of this idea of facial feedback so that Botox might you know, interrupt the loop between your facial expressions and your feelings. So if you can't make facial expressions that look sad or that look unhappy, or, you know, you can't frown, then maybe you won't feel those feelings as intensely because the muscles are eased slash paralyzed and you associate the muscle movements with the feelings. So it's sort of like disrupting that relationship which so might... wait <laughs> i'm not a doctor but you I don't mean, smile am, with though, your so... armpits <laughs> i know and this is where i'm not a doctor either and our lack of degrees between the two of us shows i think that what this study was doing was looking at several other experiments that have been done in in populations that have had botox you know in in all different places aesthetic you know use of botox not for migraines i don't believe 
But I think just the idea being that like, you know, if you're paralyzing any muscles or anything like that, you're relaxing muscles, which is a physical manifestation of depression. So any kind of relaxation of this muscle tension can improve mood, I guess. Interesting. Maybe we'll get Dr. Meisner, our friend at Harvard, on the pod to give to opine about that because I think that could be interesting. You know, if Botox is also helping with depression, I think a lot of us would feel a little bit better about spending that money. In other news, Kendall Jenner, do you know her? She's... um, I've heard of her. She's the half-sister of Kim Kardashian. Oh, no. Okay. Yes. Kendall. 12th daughter of Chris. Got it. She's on this month or weeks cover of Architectural Digest, her home in California. She's your neighbor. And it's beautiful. I like she it. She did one of those like video tours for Architectural Digest. She like takes the cameraman through her entire house and it's pretty chic. It's really nice. You walk in, there's a James Terrell like light installment in her entryway, um, which is like this really like beautiful light show that like changes colors. And it's in this like graphic oval projected onto her wall. And she says that she meditates in front of it. So good start there. Big fan of James Terrell. So is Kanye. And then she takes you into her powder room. She has a 300 pound rock for a sink that they had to reinforce the walls to install, which I think is totally normal and acceptable for somebody of her, you know, clout, clout. Similarly, her bathtub, I did the homework and saw that her bathtub was only 6,500 pounds in terms of like in money, money, not weight. Good, good cut. Yes. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was very reasonable because if you think of like a bathtub for the Kardashians, don't you think like Kylie Jenner, billionaire don't you think that like their bathtubs like cost as much as like your car i've never purchased a bathtub so i don't even have like a frame of reference but i would think that 6500 probably gets you like a nice bathtub maybe not like the rolls royce of bathtubs but like something pretty good (laughs) i too have never purchased a bathtub and i realize i sound like the guy from rested development right now that's like (laughs) it's a banana how much could it cost ten (laughs) dollars i was most impressed by two things one was that she has, you know, obviously she has a glam room, but her glam room actually has a separate entrance so that her glam team or squad or whatever they're called doesn't have to come through the main house. They can just like get to work through the side door. And then she also has not a closet, not a dressing room, a fitting room. Fitting room. She does have a closet. She does have a closet. This is totally different, Annie. This is a room in which she gets fitted for... Outfits that she's, I think, going to wear to party. I don't know. Traveling. She says that she packs, every time she goes on a trip, she packs in there. And it's just like a a long room with racks, clothes. She also mentioned, interesting fact, she purges her closet like every two months. She purges it? Yeah. Like throws everything out? No, I think you, like, I do the same thing maybe like twice a year where you go through and you like take out things that you just don't wear and, you know, give them away, put a load back together, take them to the... Goodwill or throw away stuff that's just gross or do fabric recycling. She also has an art studio where she paints and she has copper energy rings in her bedroom, which she's like these big sort of copper wire rings that she's placed all around her house. And she's not entirely clear what they're supposed to do, but it's something about like energy clearing and meditating or something. She has a lot of conviction in it still. Speaking of 
energy clearing. She bought the house I read from Charlie Sheen. So like, I feel like she's probably on the right track with that energy clearing. Congratulations, Kendall. Good job. We love your place. You have great taste. We should also give a shout out to uh, Kathleen and Tommy Clements and Waldo Fernandez, who helped her design the place. Someone who I doubt had a designer, though probably actually did have a designer, but seemed like it was a very personal expression was Gigi Hadid, who also posted pictures on Instagram, I think, of her remodeled New York City apartment. And it was getting a lot of attention online for very colorful vegetable dyed pasta, dried pasta that she had placed behind glass doors in her kitchen as sort of like an art installation. So imagine like red, blue, green, yellow pasta behind like, you know, the fronts of her cabinets. Yeah. So a lot of people were saying that it felt, um, to me, it looks like a Dylan's candy bar, but with like colorful pasta. It's a Dylan's candy bar, olive garden kind of vibe, like some suburban mall, restaurant aesthetic kind of thing. But I like that it's, she actually found the, you told me that she found the artist who made the pasta installations on Instagram. I assume she found her on Instagram. It's like a pasta, (laughs) plant dyed pasta artist um, named Salty Seattle. And Gigi- Salty Seattle. Gigi credited her in the post. She, yeah, I guess does like pasta art. I mean, she has to have found this person on Instagram. It's like Etsy, you know, like I feel like Instagram is the platform for her type of art. Yeah. I would would have never imagined it in (laughs) sandwich between plexiglass and somebody's kitchen. No. And she also got uh, a lot of attention for a jumbo sized pen, like a ballpoint pen that she has leaning against a wall in one room. And also her bathroom, which has all these decoupaged covers of the New Yorker, which is like kind of a fun art project. And I'm pro Gigi decorating style because I feel like it's what she likes. She's surrounding herself with things that make her happy and not just things that she, that are sort of quote unquote stylish. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Your silence speaks volumes. No, I mean, look, it's really colorful. I just, I get I think, like, obviously this place brings her happiness, right? And that's all that we can hope for in our spaces. Well, I don't necessarily want happiness in my space. <laughs> I, I just can't take all the um, – it's too much stimuli for me, the rainbow colors. And the she's definitely has a lot of, like, tchotchkes. Yeah. Well, luckily you don't have to live there. I would live there in a fucking heartbeat. <laughs> 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 the things I would do to get that to get that apartment. <laughs> This week, we were very lucky to get about an hour with Fenty Skin's brand new, recently crowned global ambassador, Sean Garrett, who is a esthetician in New York City. I've known him for about two or three years now. He uh, is a lovely guy, has the most insane, insane skin and a really cool Instagram aesthetic. And we talked to him about the launch about skin, about how he became the single Fenty Skin Global Ambassador, how Rihanna picked him. Um, And it's a fun conversation. Shall we get into it? 
Let's do it. So I was just looking at your Twitter and I saw a tweet that you posted yesterday that said, bitch, I feel like I won America's Next Top Model. LMFAO. I want to, I want you to explain to me what you mean by that. Because, okay, so like, um, you know, I was announced as like the Fenty Skin Ambassador. So now I'm like a global ambassador for the brand, like educating and things like that. But it was like such a like long process. Like I've been working with them, I think since like April, like auditioning when they had like reached out to me. And so it was like a long thing until like Rihanna was like, you're the girl I want. <laughs> so like I had the final picture and, you know, I feel great. Yeah. And they were like, there's only one picture in my hand. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> what was the process like even like the most what you think are probably the most boring details I think everybody is would die to know well like Rihanna's very busy and so it was like very sporadic so like sometimes like it would be like the middle of the day and they'd be like oh can you get on a call really quick and so I literally have to like drop everything and like do like a meeting or answer questions and things like that. But it first started out as um, them kind of like telling me what the process was or that what they were actually reaching out to me for. Because at first they were saying they wanted me to do something for Fenty Beauty and then told me like what it actually was for. And so I had like a brief that I had to do, like videos and product reviews. But it's just like what I would do on like my regular Instagram, but like focus for them to see exactly how like I react to things and like speak about skin. So I did that. Now at this point you are like obviously under like a confidentiality agreement. So you couldn't tell anyone that you were having these conversations, not even like your mom, not my mom. I didn't tell Lily, my business partner. I told literally no one. And so, yeah, so we did like a brief. Then I had like random interviews of like different parts of her team and it came down to like the last bit where I did like a mock press interview because I think they really just wanted to see like how you would speak about the brands and then also like how you would speak about Rihanna. And um, yeah, so then like I didn't hear anything for like a couple of weeks. And one day randomly they were like, oh, can you get on a call? And I just saw, you know, it was like another like check in to like give me an update. And then she was like, uh, you got the job. <laughs> And I literally screamed and I went to Cape Cod the next week for uh, for like five days and got drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a, from April to July. So it was like a April, May, June, July, like a four month audition process. In between that, I was like, I had tested the products that so it gave me like lab samples. And so I already knew that I liked the products. I knew what I wanted to say about the products, but I didn't know what the exact ingredients were. They like hints there. But because I was under the NDA and they didn't decide if, you know, I was going to be the one at that point, I didn't really know, like, know a lot of what was in the products. It's interesting for a, you know, skincare brand from Rihanna, a woman, to pick a guy as the, you know, the global ambassador. Yes, it's skincare and yes, you know, she wants it to be unisex, but obviously like the packaging is is pastel-y. It's like a little bit more feminine. You know, why do you think they, why'd they pick you? Um, I think I'm really just like that amazing. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, um, I think one, the one thing that I really do love about Rihanna and like the whole Fenty Skin team and the brand is that they don't do things that are like expected. And so I feel like it would be like expected to get like a woman or like a female influencer to represent the brands. I think she really wanted to push home the idea of inclusivity and that really skincare like is for 
all genders. It's not like a female-driven thing that men should be included in the conversation as well. And I think in my interview, like I had also brought that up, that that was important for me because a lot of my job is, um, because there aren't a lot of men, one, that look like me in the beauty space. And there are not a lot of men that really do what I feel like I do. What do you mean? What do you mean by those two things? So like, there aren't like a lot of male estheticians that are, um, I guess like, popularized like in media or even like with brands and things a lot of the times like when I do kind of like these brand sponsorships and partnerships I'm probably like the first boy they ever partnered with and so it is like a slim kind of like lane and so I feel like for her it was important to like push that message forward and then to just do something different I mean we always see like a girl as the face of something so you are like one of the only male estheticians that I know Mm -hmm. Um, how did you get into that field? Well, I've like always been obsessed with beauty. I've always been obsessed like with myself, but not like in like, not like in like a like vain way. Um, I just grew up being very aware of like, uh, like what I look like. I was like a super like chubby kid. And so like, I was always like hyper aware of what my appearance was to other people. And you grew up in uh, Maryland? Mm-hmm. And so, like, my mom, she's very, like, beauty conscious, and my grandmother as well. Like, I've never seen my grandmother, like, without a manicure. And she had, like, stiletto nails, like, before it was, like, a beauty trend. But um, I've always just, like, hyper aware of, like, what I looked like. Um, I was, like, obsessed with beauty and kind of, like, what that meant for myself and how I could transform myself into, like, being what I wanted to look like. And so, like, makeup and, like, I used to be, like, obsessed with hair. Everyone thought I was going to be, like, a hairstylist when I grew up. But I just liked the transformative, like, properties of hair and beauty. Was that hard, though? Because I grew up in, I'm probably older than you, I'm 36. But I, like, I grew up in, like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. And I was like a little gay kid and really into hair and like playing with my friend's hair and like brushing hair. And like I got made fun of like mercilessly, like without any regard to how I, you know, felt or like who I was because I didn't know who I was at that point. Did Was that hard to be like actively, you know, interested in all that stuff? No, weirdly. Like my mom, like, like she couldn't take it. Like she was so... I feel like bothered by it, honestly, because I don't think she really knew what to do with me and with my interest. It's so, like my grandmother used to like sneak and like buy me Barbies. Mine too. Like, uh, so like I would have to hide them. And then my mother started doing like a weekly room check to find my hidden Barbies. Like it was, it was like traumatizing, honestly. I mean, my grandma would buy me, I'd like would buy dolls with my grandma and then I would get back to my grandma's house and my mom and dad would like see that my grandma had bought me a doll and they would like get mad at her. And I like remember the whole thing. It was super traumatizing. Yeah. So like it started out with me telling like, I would tell my grandmother like, oh, it's my friend's uh, like Amanda's birthday. I want to get her a doll. And my grandma's like, you know, like, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> you know, Amanda would never get the damn doll. It would like be in my room. And my, my grandma like eventually caught on. And so, you know, she just bought me what I wanted. And my grandmother's always been like that, like just very supportive. I feel like even when she didn't really understand like what I was really going through or like experiencing, she just kind of supported me. My mom, on the other hand, was very, um, I think she was a single mother. She felt like she had to be a little bit more stronger than my grandmother was. Like she couldn't be soft with me because she was like raising a boy. 
But um, she was very uncomfortable with it. But the rest of my family, like, literally did not care. Like, and I have a huge, like, honestly, half of Baltimore is my family. I think I have over, like, 1,200 cousins. Oh, my God. It's a huge, huge family. And I've never felt, like, ostracized. Oh, my God. You have to get them all Fenty skin. No, I'm not doing that. No. Are they? (laughs) (laughs) I bet now you have people, like, calling up being like, can I get that discount code? Literally. Like, (laughs) <laughs> my whole family. It's so funny. But yeah, like growing up, at least that aspect of me, my yeah. family wasn't really like really cared about. I think it was when I started like dating, people were like a little bit more cautious because I was becoming like a gay teen and I wasn't just like, you know, like a soft little feminine boy. I was like kind of growing into like my sexuality and my identity. And that's like a little bit harder for like people to swallow. Yeah, like playing with like hair and like dolls is like a little bit more easy to accept until like you're like dating a boy you know like that's a whole nother conversation so what were some of your like beauty inspirations growing up and kind of figuring out what you liked my aunts were like honestly my biggest beauty inspirations like they're the most glamorous women it's like it's ridiculous i mean like one of my aunts she like passed away like sadly, but she was a jazz singer and she lived like, honestly, like we could write a book about her life. It was so like dynamic. Like she was an FBI agent who was like a jazz singer at night. Uh, She ended up getting like shot and she retired. In the field? In the field. She ended up getting shot. So then she like retired and did kind of like low level, like things like she wasn't like working for the FBI, but still like the federal government doing like security and things like that. And, but her main dream was being a jazz singer. And so she owned probably like 60 to 80 wigs. Her signature was like red lipstick, red nails, like tons of gowns, like French, everything. So literally I would just like watch her get dressed and just like transform into who she really was. Like, you know, she took her uniform off, her suit, and she became like the woman who she really wanted to be. And that was really inspiring to me because I always felt like I was kind of trapped in like this, like gap, Oshkosh, like Banana Republic boy. And I really, you know, I wanted to wear like the sequins and the fringe. And so she kind of like inspired me to kind of just like, have that air of transformability. And so right after uh, graduated high school, did you go to esthetician school? No. Um, It's so funny. Like, my life was really hectic until, like, three years ago. So, like, after, like, high school, I became, like, obsessed with fashion. And so that was, like, my main goal. Like, that's what I wanted to do. Like, I idolized Angelion Tally. My biggest goal in life was to be, like, an accessories editor at, like, W Magazine. I was obsessed with W Magazine. I was like obsessed like Galliano, Christian (laughs) Lacroix. Like I was like a couture girl, like honestly. Like that's what I loved. You know, I wasn't really like into like Michael Kors or like, you know, Tory Burch or something. Like I really loved like fashion. Was this part of the interview process? (laughs) Like what are your thoughts on um, Tory Burch? (laughs) (laughs) So like I was like really like obsessed with fashion. I thought that would be my career. Actually, when I was like eight years old, my dream career was being a bartender and being on the real world. But that was like a whole nother thing. I mean, that was all of our dreams. Maybe not the bartender part, but definitely being on the real world. My mother was so disturbed. She was like, what eight-year-old wants to be a bartender? (laughs) That's not normal. (laughs) But but then like, I was like, I want to be a plastic surgeon. And then like, I quickly realized I'm never going to be a doctor. 
So I was like, fashion, like, that's what I really love. My other aunt, who is this, she's the twin to my aunt that was like a jazz singer. She's like an incredible, like, freehand artist. And she can like, literally like, look at a fashion magazine and sketch it by hand, like, and it would be like, look exactly like the magazine. And so she really fostered my love for like art and drawing. And so I always did fashion illustrations. And so when I graduated high school, I went to the Art Institute of Atlanta and I studied um, fashion design and fashion illustration, and then also a little bit of like art history. And so that didn't last long <laughs> um, because I couldn't afford it. Like I was so poor. And my mom, it was like such, it's a private college. So it was like really expensive. So I ended up having to drop out and I tried to do university again, but I was just like, this is not, it's not me. Um, it's not. So like I went home, tried to like figure out what I wanted to do, end up working retail. Where'd you work? I worked, oh my God. I worked Rite Aid. No, JCPenney was like my first, first job. Then I worked at Rite Aid. What section of JCPenney? Oh my God, I was support. So it was doing the holiday season. So like I would have to like run from the store to like outside in the parking lot and carry Christmas trees to people's cars. And then I worked, um, oh my God, at Target. I was a cashier and a cart manager. <laughs> Is that a euphemism for like the people who bring the carts back from like the mm-hmm. to the big stall? <laughs> they only picked me because I was like one of the only boys there, um, which was like, yeah, that was a traumatizing job. <laughs> but you got a lot of managerial experience. Lots of managerial experience. I learned how to drive, you know, controlling all those carts. Um, and then I worked at Banana Republic. I worked at Ann Taylor Loft as like a visual merchandiser which I totally scammed my way into that job because like I completely lied on my resume and said I went to school for visual merchandising. I mean, that's like what you learn to do like in like the service field. Like I remember when I worked in restaurants, like you could never get a job in a restaurant unless you had restaurant experience. And I was like, well, then how are you supposed to have restaurant experience if you can't get a job without experience? So then I just was like, wait, I'll put my friend's phone number down and say that I worked at this restaurant and then they'll call my friend and I'll get a job. And so I got jobs at restaurants. That's exactly what I did. So like when I finally moved to New York, I was like, I was determined to like be a stylist. Like that was what I was going to do. Um, and so I, my friend had connected me with my, someone who's my best friend now, but was like my boss back then was my friend Vaughn. And he worked at this fashion showroom. And like I like I completely lied on this resume. I said I worked for like Alexander Wang, um, that I was like uh, Oscar De La Renta, like atelier intern. <laughs> <laughs> like I just completely like fucking lied. Like you went there. That's good. I I drove it the fuck home. Okay. <laughs> you committed, as they would say. And if acting. I'm gonna lie, like. I'm going to be damn near Anna Wintour on this resume. (laughs) So like when I went to the interview, like he knew I was lying off the bat. He was like, you've never fucking worked here, but I like you. So I'm like going to give you a job. And so that was like my first fashion job ever, like in the industry. And so I went to work every day in Soho and we did like pulls and press things for like the Amphar Gala, Broadway stars, Russian Vogue, like we worked with Patty Wilson and people like that. So it was like, it was a really cool experience. I worked on like a Neutrogena commercial. So it was like, it was like my entryway. 
But that was my first time moving to New York. I was really unprepared. Didn't really know what to expect. I mean, it's incredibly expensive. And I had jobs like that and they pay nothing. I got paid literally nothing. So like you're working with Patty Wilson and that's cool. And like you feel like you're like in it, like you're in that thing you were looking at in magazines, but like you can't like... You have to have like a roommate, like a literal roommate, like in your room right. to like make it work. And so like, it was funny because one of the clients that we represented in the showroom was this, um, I think she's Japanese, Atsukuro, and she does like latex bodysuit and dresses. I think Kim Kardashian like popularized her. But at the time we represented her, we were contacted to pull, I think like 50 or like 60 latex bodysuits for Beyonce Pretty Hurts video. And I was like, oh my God, like this is what I meant to do and was like literally starving to death. Um, Like sometimes like I would literally only eat if I went to work because like my boss bought me lunch every day. Like she was like, like Kari, she's like the best woman like in New York, like really took care of me. But yeah, it was really hard. Like I lived in like a horrible apartment. I like got scams out of rent. My bathroom ceiling caved in one day when I was at work. So, like, I came home and, like, my whole bathroom ceiling was in my toilet and tub. And, like, I could look up and see my, <laughs> like, neighbors. Classic New York. That's a nightmare. I, like, just cried on my air mattress. <laughs> you went back to Maryland then or did you get into beauty first? So, I went back to Maryland. And then I, the funny thing is, like, I got into beauty because I was, like, I had this idea that I was going to build my portfolio in Baltimore, um, which is unrealistic, you know, because they don't have, like, there's not, like, a showroom that carries, like, you know, Dior <laughs> in Baltimore or, like, anything. So I was like, okay, like, to cut costs, I'm going to learn how to do makeup and hair so, like, I can literally just worry about the clothes and just, like, not have to worry about anything, just getting the photos done. But that literally turned into me, like, really, like, opening the door to beauty. And so I became like obsessed with beauty. And I started working at um, different like beauty counters. I worked at Ulta like six different times. And I became like a makeup consultant. And I started, that led into like my freelance makeup career. It was really fun, honestly. Like I learned a lot about myself and how to kind of work with clients one-on-one, which like benefited me when I started doing spa services. So yeah, so I was like, okay, I'm a makeup artist, moved to LA. So I moved to L.A. <laughs> and um, L.A. was definitely like a, that was an interesting journey. How long How long were you in L.A.? I was in L.A. for a year in total. And you were working on like celeb stuff or like what part of the industry? You know what's funny? I was always like celeb adjacent. My sister, who's like, she's a celebrity hairstylist in L.A. So back then she was doing um, like Kylie Jenner's hair and her, um, well, who was her best friend? Jordan Woods, who she, like, still works with. And she, like, worked with, like, rappers and other people. And because, like, I needed money in L.A., I would just be her hair assistant. And so, like, I did, like, a lot of fashion shoots and magazine shoots. And I feel like that can actually pay pretty well. It's like, they're not paid that badly. Yeah, so she, like, took care of me yeah. where I could make money. And then also the relationships that I fostered in New York carried me to LA because like when I really needed money, like my New York family really like gave me jobs. It's how I like did my first music videos. I met like the director Colin Tilly and did music videos with him as like a stylist. And so that really like helped me kind of like make money, but also learn more about the industry as well. But yeah, it was definitely, it was an interesting journey for sure. So then what made you leave LA? 
Um, I got scammed. Isn't that the classic story? Who who scammed you? How'd you get scammed? My roommate. So we lived in like this gorgeous, like... I mean, this is the classic LA story. Like everyone's a scammer. So like I... You know where the Line Hotel is? Yeah. Down uh, in Koreatown. Yeah. So like my apartment was like literally three minutes from the Line Hotel. And so we lived in like this two-story condo. So it was like an upstairs and the downstairs. It was like really nice. And I really never could like understand how I... Like, how we afforded that and how it was, like, so affordable. But come to find out, like, the girl that was, like, renting to me and my friend, she was, she never signed a lease. She had, like, a side deal with the superintendent. And so she was, like, taking money from us and, like, actually overcharging us and then pretty much paying nothing. And he was renting the apartment for her for super cheap. So we were paying for the whole apartment. She was paying for nothing. And she was pretending like we were all splitting bills and like, you know, the LA hustle. And like, this bitch was like straight scamming us. And so we found out because a development company actually bought our building. And they sent us a letter like, you haven't had a lease in six years. You can either agree to this new agreement or move out in 30 days. And the agreement was what the apartment was actually worth, which was like $4,300. Jeez. So you were like, I can't, I'm I'm done. Again, <laughs> my dream snatched from me. Like, Okay, so when, when does like skincare come into the mix? So skincare came into the mix because actually it was kind of always in the background because along with like makeup, I've always been obsessed with skincare as well. So like when I would see my makeup clients, I would always like preach to them about the importance of skincare, like exfoliating and hydrating because you're up close to so many people's faces. And so after like enough like clients telling me like, no, you need to work in skincare. You need to be a facialist. Like telling me that I was so knowledgeable about skin. After the whole LA thing happened, I was really like lost in what I wanted to do because at this point, my fashion career failed, uh, my makeup career failed. And so I'm like, okay, like, am I going to be like the target cart boy for the rest of my life? Like, what is going on? Because like nothing felt like it was like sticking. But like now I feel like that was literally leading me to one back to like my family because I had kind of detached myself from them for a while. So I had to move back to um, actually move to Atlanta with my mom. And so like, it was kind of me getting back to like our relationship and rebuilding that. And then also figuring out my career goals and like what was going to be the actual plan for me moving forward. Yeah, so like when I moved back with my mom, literally like, I swear it was like God just like telling me like, you need to go to esthetician school. Because like within like the first five days, like something just clicked to me that this is what I needed to do while I was in Atlanta. And I knew it was the right decision because everything lined up correctly. Like having the money to get into school, having the support. I found the right school immediately and literally everything just kind of fell into place. And that started like my new career, which has been the only career that has worked out for me. (laughs) There you go. And it's really working out because you have like none other than Rihanna, like calling you up and asking you to like be a part of her skin, not only just be a part of her skincare line, but like be the face of her skincare line in a lot of ways. I just like, this has like been like my journey probably since like 2017 in the skin care world. Cause that's when I moved. That's when I started um, esthetician school and I became an esthetician like practicing in June, 2018. And so now in July, 2020, it's like, I'm completely in a different place than I was when I graduated school. So what, how do you get your, I mean, this is 
the obvious question because I, well, and not maybe not for, for people who can't see you, but you have like flawless skin. How do you get your skin to look like that? Uh, it takes like a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> you're not like, Oh, like I just use, I just rinse it with water. No, like I wish, um, my skin is so like high maintenance. I've always had clear skin, but like when I turned 21, I got like adult acne, but I also had like lost a ton of weight. So like back in, I would say like 2012, I lost like 150 pounds. And my hormones changed, my skin changed, and it really did affect my skin a lot. And so, like, from there, I kind of deepened, like, my obsession with skin. So I became, like, really, like, a 24-hour researcher, like, researching ingredients, how can I fix my acne? And so there I was able to, like, repair my skin, and I pretty much created, like, a consistent routine. But I'll say probably, like, the last three to four years, like, my skincare has kind of been like insane how many steps maybe 12 <laughs> oh wow something that that i need to know the answer to because i think i'm making mistakes here is how often are you cycling in new products mm, well now i've pretty much been on the same routine because like i love everything i'm using right now i would say the last time i introduced something new maybe was like three weeks ago um actually no okay last week and it was like a moisturizer so usually like i'll kind of like switch one thing in here and there but i've been super consistent during like quarantine and lockdown because when we first got quarantined my skin like freaked out for whatever reason um so i was able to kind of like find a new routine which consisted of literally like maybe six serums that like i rotate throughout the week and that really helped my skin and now i'm like testing things here and there but I try to keep it as consistent as possible. But because of my job, I am trying a lot of skincare at once. So now you're working with Lily, a.k.a. Cave of Beauty. And she just opened up a new or she's working on a new space in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. You will be seeing clients there. Mm-hmm. And you're also like a influencer. So you're working with brands on campaigns on your channels and on theirs, right? Mm -hmm. And you're doing Fenty Skin now. Yeah. So are you, is it fair to say that you're like very busy? Uh, Very busy, which is weird because I don't go to a job every day. So it doesn't feel like I'm as busy as I am until like I have like 16 projects in one week that I have deadlines for. Like, this week in particular, we're so, like, I'm, like, I'm, like, still tired. When we did the the virtual launch party, I was probably up from 7 a.m. to maybe 2.30 in the morning. And I still, like, I had to do my whole routine. So, like, I went to bed at, like, 3.45 or something. Like, it was a long day. And so, tell me what you can about this. But, like, I know I was following, like, very closely this conversation that was happening on Twitter after Fenty Skin came out. And there were like two things that people were like, the trolls were latching onto or whatever you want to, you know, call the people who like love to comment and point things out. One was fragrance Mm -hmm. and one was witch hazel. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of the influencers that I follow were saying, which I think was really good, like Nye, LABDologist, Lily, that these are great products. If you're sensitive to fragrance, you know, obviously this isn't for you, but if you're not like, it's a really great product and here's why. And the same thing, you know, with witch hazel being included in the toner, right? Mm -hmm. It is, it's not bad. 
that it is. But you know what's funny? I expected and predicted those things. So we kind of like worked together as a team to kind of talk about like how we would address it. But that's what I really liked about working with Fenty Skin was because they introduced me to the chemist who helped formulate the line and source the ingredients. And I was able to ask every question that was on my mind and that I knew would come up because these are things I've talked about as well, about like not using pure witch hazel on your skin. You know, like I've never really been like a fragrance person though, because I personally am not in particular, like sensitive to fragrance. And I don't really mind it. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't cause reactions for me. But I know it does for certain people, especially if you're someone who has like inflamed acne or just inflammatory skin um, in general. I definitely would say kind of stay away from fragrance. But I think it was kind of explaining how the formulas actually are and how using one ingredient a single ingredient on your skin versus it being in a complete, well-formulated product is a completely separate thing. So that's like the difference between like using witch hazel out of the bottle versus like using a product that has witch hazel as an ingredient. Exactly. So like I would always preach about not using witch hazel because even sometimes they'll say like alcohol-free formulas, like it'll be alcohol-free, but the sourcing of it will be so cheap that they will use like certain parts of the witch hazel plant that can include something like an ingredient called tannis, which can be sensitizing and drying to the skin. But what Fenty does is that they take parts of the witch hazel plant that doesn't have the tannis or that isn't super drying and they don't distill it with alcohol. They do it with water. And so it's no alcohol in it at all. So you do get the sebum control and pore refining properties of the witch hazel plant without like the drying, the irritation and the sensitization of it. So it's like having like vanilla bean in your dessert rather than vanilla extract. Exactly. Like that's exactly what it is. So the three products that launched were a moisturizer with SPF, a serum, toner, hybrid and a cleanser. Those are my dogs. (laughs) Which is your favorite? Is there one standout product? The Hydrovisor Invisible Moisturizer with SPF 30 is like my shit like why i'm obsessed with that it's like well one like when you are like i mean like when you're black or like have any kind of color to your skin it's so hard to find a good spf and usually like we usually do have to do like chemical there are some mineral sunscreens out there that will be like melanin friendly or whatever but if you're using sunscreen properly and like you're reapplying it using like a mineral sunscreen like that that may have like a little bit of a white cast but not super noticeable can still be one like really uncomfortable on the skin and it can affect the way the skin like looks so you probably will be like a little bit more dry or a little bit have like a white cast or purple tint I personally love chemical sunscreens because they just have like a more elegant formula and this one just like it gives you like the most amazing glowy skin like I'm wearing it now And like, I don't have to put a moisturizer under it. So it's like, it's really, if you have oily skin, it could be like your sole moisturizer in the morning. You get the SPF protection. And if you have dry skin, you can just like put like a serum under it and you'll be completely fine. So it's like, what, one of the things that it sounds like, which is really cool is that this is a situation in which like, you're actually actively involved with the brand and like talking to the chemist and like really kind of like deeply embedding yourself in the team so that you know, like you're able to like educate the staff at Sephora, like on the products and, 
you know, educate consumers when they ask you questions, are you going to continue to have like a active role in like the product rollout and all that sort of stuff? That pretty much is like the main, like the basis of my goal is to take Rihanna's vision and the brand ethics and make it into a more digestible, accessible language for consumers. I think because that's what we kind of talked about a lot is that, um, especially with like formulators and chemists, you know, you have like that specific brand language and certain ingredients that the normal consumer be like, okay, I don't know what the fuck a ginkgo biloba is. So why is it in it? What does it do? And that's pretty much my job is to explain the ingredients, break it down, why it's beneficial. And it also gives a consumer the way to figure out if it's actually a product that will work for them. And that's why I tried to explain like on the whole Twitter thing that, you know, like there are a million skincare products on the market Everything is not going to be for everyone. There will never be a universal skincare that works for every single skin type and skin condition. I mean, I have clients that can't stand the CeraVe hydrating cleanser, which is a super, super gentle cleanser. It's literally lotion with ceramides. But some people are a little bit sensitive to the niacinamide, or some people are sensitive to topical ceramides, or it could be a preservative in the formula that affects their skin or they have an allergy to. But the goal with Fenty Skin is that Rihanna wanted to take her vision, what she likes in skincare, the product she wanted to offer, and bring that to the market. And it's pretty much like, you know, if it works for you and you love the products, we're here for you. We have more coming. If you are sensitive to it, then maybe you want to avoid it. But, you know, it's not... You don't want to fear monger people into thinking that fragrance is going to completely destroy their skin because for a lot of people, that isn't the truth. It's for usually people who have like a specific allergy or sensitivity to it. It's also cool that you're able, you know, as like the global ambassador for Fenty Skin to like talk about pluses and minuses and to talk, A, I mean, A, to talk about pluses and minuses of the product, but also to talk about other brands. Like I know on the brand side, in the brands that I've worked on, I've always been passionate about making sure that the influencers that we work with can talk about other brands, that it's not like an exclusive thing because no one, no consumer is going to believe that you only use brand A like in your entire routine. And that's the only thing you like, like you're much more likely to convince someone to try something if you're honest about like why you like things and why you don't. And here are the different brands I pick and choose from. Exactly. And that was a big point for me when I accepted this job. In your negotiation. Yeah, because I, I mean, like, I, this is what I do for a living. You know, like, I test skincare, I talk about it, I review it, and I also do it for my online following, but also for my spa clients as well. I have to know what's on the market to be able to offer the best to the clients that are seeing me. So that was definitely a thing where we had to kind of come to like, you know, a certain agreement of what I will talk about, what I won't talk about. But it was important to me to always keep my integrity intact. I mean, this is like an amazing opportunity. But if I did feel like I was like compromising my integrity and everything that I've built over the last few years with my platform, then it definitely wouldn't have been a job that I would have taken. But thankfully, I do have a boss like Rihanna that is all about authenticity, about being real and being honest about everything. Because even she asked me, she was like, you know, do you like my shit? And I was like, yeah, I like it. But I also want to do X, Y, and Z. So it's like, it's definitely an open dialogue with the brand's 
and Rihanna and me as well. I love that. And I'm so happy for you because like, this is such a cool opportunity and like you get all the credit that you deserve, but like on a bigger stage now. And it's, it's like really fun to see. It's kind of insane, honestly. Did you pick out a special outfit for your live with Re? I did and I had to change. Why? Because it was virtual. When we did the live, like Rihanna was in a studio. I was in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> if I was in LA, I would have been in the studio, but I'm in New York by myself. So I had the whole production team on Zoom. So like how you and Annie are talking to me. Uh, imagine like eight other screens, plus the global marketing director, my influencer manager, the production team, all like telling me how to sit, um, how to talk, you know, like how to do my lighting, the background cap. Like my outfit was so cute. Oh my God. It was so cute. And I had to change it into like the most like boring shit. And I was so mad, but like it just did not translate on camera because like the background kept picking up the white in my shirt. It's so like I like how I was blending into the background when I first got on. Like it's like hashtag Zoom problems. Right. But it was the first of like many, hopefully, but I am betting many like lives you'll be doing as like the product line expands, right? Yeah. And the thing is like we did get to like connect beforehand and like she definitely makes you just feel like super comfortable and like reassuring. And it's like, you know, if Rihanna picked you to represent her brand, clearly she sees something in you and trusts you enough to uphold her brand and her ethics and to represent her well. And so that's always the number one thing for me and really any brand that I work with. It's like, I want to represent myself well, but I also want to make sure the brand and the brand owner that I'm representing is proud of what I'm putting out there. Yeah, actually, you're like one of the only people I've ever worked with who like turned down something that I offered you. If it's like not something you're interested in or like you don't feel like the time is right or like whatever, you're like, no, thanks. I'm going to pass on this. And that's why like I was kind of irritated on Twitter when people kind of like questioning my integrity. They were like, you're just kissing Rihanna's ass. You don't like the products. Why would you lie about the fragrance? And I'm like, girl, like if people knew like how much money I've turned down, I mean, like. This month alone, I probably turned down about $35,000 in sponsorships and jobs just because it wasn't right for me. I didn't care for the products or I did not want to be associated with that brand. So it's like, of course, money is important to me because, I mean, that's how I live. But if I truly don't like something, I'm not putting my name on it. Three days ago, you tweeted, I don't have to lie for money. I make a lot talking shit. Exactly. (laughs) I think we can end on that. I like that. I love it. Now is the time for our favorite and really everyone's favorite segment, which is product reviews. Nick? Dare I start? You darest. (laughs) I dare. Um, This week, I was influenced by my friend Dana Lawrence, who has that jewelry brand Fallon, Fallon Jewelry, like all those chokers and things like that. She was saying that she spent months researching like the best smelling hand sanitizer. And she found this brand called Amass, A-M-A-S-S. And it was actually, the hand sanitizer was launched by a liquor distillery. So they make vodka and gin too, but now they're making hand sanitizer. It's 70% alcohol based and manufactured in LA. And what I like about it is that not only does it have a high ethyl alcohol content, which is the good kind of alcohol that you're supposed to have in these products, 
but it smells like cloves and rosemary. Like it has this very warm, herbaceous scent that, you know, makes you feel a little bit better about continually slapping it on your, your skin. And it also has vegetable glycerin, which is a humectant. So it helps draw in moisture so you don't get too dried out. And, uh, it is available on amass.com, so A-M-A-S-S.com, and they have two sizes. One is a you know big pump, which is 16 ounces, and then they have a travel size, which is 59 ml, and it is $38 for the big 16-ounce size, which will last you several months, and then $12 for a travel size. But I like the big, I like get a couple of the big ones, put them... Uh, right near our front door so that the minute I come in from like walking the dogs or grocery shopping or something like that, I just like take a few pumps. And this is before I then wash my hands for 20 seconds. Okay, Gigi Hadid with your $40 hand sanitizers. It's literally like it's it'll last you two months. I think am ass is like the worst name for it. <laughs> Fair. I didn't think about that. You know, I, people pay me to come up with names for stuff, so that would... And you wouldn't pick I think mass. I think about these things sometimes. What have you got for us this week? This is a not a beauty product I ever plan on using, mostly because it smells horrible, but I think it's fun, and I thought it was so thoughtful. It is a vintage Pierre Cardin. Cardin? 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 It's like French. C-A-R-D-I-N? Yeah, but you're... I don't know. I'm not French. C-A-R-D-I-N, so Cardin, if you're not trying to put on airs for anyone. And it is a vintage soap on a rope, and it's, like, so chic looking. It is, like, a three-dimensional keyhole shape tan bar soap with the PC logo embossed into it, and it's on this. Where did you buy Where can you buy this? eBay, I guess. But, like, the sweet thing about it was, you know how I went upstate to stay at my friend's place for a few weeks? Yeah. So I go into the guest bedroom where I'm sleeping and she, on the side table, she had all these gifts piled up for me as if I had like done anything <laughs> like, that to deserve. That is so chic. Yes. And this was in, cause she knew I collect like references for like beauty packaging things and just like interesting products. And I think she saw that I had this uh, screenshotted. And so then she went and found it and bought it for me, which is so sweet, right? That is like literally heartbreakingly sweet. Yeah, like that, I like, know. You don't deserve her. I know. Oh, trust me. I've cried about it in therapy before. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Rebecca. It is you are really the most thoughtful, sweet person. And I love my gift. Maybe more your product of the week is this idea that like you could be incredibly hospitable. And when you have a guest, a house guest, you know, maybe buy them a few things of their favorite things to make them feel at home versus like specifically this soap on a rope, which you said smells like shit. <laughs> yeah, you could totally just buy them things that they like. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think that like, I think it's really all, sweet. Yeah, we could all take a page from the Rebecca playbook. One thousand percent. We should have her on someday. We'd love that. If I, Well, I actually would just rather come to her house and get like a gift basket. I'm sure she would love to have you. So that's it for this week's episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Sean, our lovely guest. And thank you to Rebecca for buying Annie gifts. 
Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abranowitz, and our theme music is by Danny Prezant. Remember also to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you procure your podcasts. And you can also follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty or write to us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Note, Annie is going to, I'm going to make her post the Pierre Cardin soap on a rope on Instagram so everyone can get a visual for what, what the hell we're talking about. I will do that. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode on Friday. Talk to you then. Charge your AirPods. And um, recycle, recycle, recycle. Recycle.